Hello, welcome, good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Uh, Gino, Jason, and Thomas are in studio today, and we are here to talk about conversion. Welcome back. Hey. Oh, Thomas in the studio today. Yep. Special guest. Yes, sir. All right. Well, it's uh, good to be back. I know uh, these are not as often as they were last year, but such it is with ministry and life and busy and shepherd in the church and got to do that first. So these are, uh, you know, they're, we want to do these often, but we don't want to do these uh, in lieu of everything else we do. Yep. So when we're busy, we're busy. And uh, when we're not busy, we try to make ourselves busier. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, uh, we are in studio and uh, we are, have our drinks. And Zach has prepared some coffee for some of us. And uh, it was good. Good little Kenya to fuel the fire today and converting Thomas to the good stuff. <laughs> not that stuff that. That number that number store sells that's not coffee that they say is coffee, but mm. so yeah, it's good. Uh, well, uh, we have been as a church going again on Saturdays through the nine marks of a healthy church, and uh, those are important to us. And really, uh, if you've never gone through that book or read that book or understand what the nine marks are. Uh, I would encourage you to pick up that book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, because uh, in my opinion, those are nine essentials to the church. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. uh, For a while, when I got saved, there was this, um, how do I want to say this? There, There was this like, oh, it's just you and Jesus, just you and Jesus. And so everyone sits down and studies what it means to be just me and Jesus as a, as a worshiper of Christ, as, as a child of God. And that, that's good. It's good. There's a place for that, certainly. And uh, But I would also say that just like you're supposed to understand the gospel and know it well enough to communicate to others, that all of us are responsible for understanding the mission to the church because everyone is responsible to that mission. And even in... Um, kind of my experience of working with people and from different parts of the United States, whether that be Oklahoma or California or Vegas. Uh, I think, unfortunately, sometimes it's thought of as, oh, the church and the, the mission of the church, that's the pastor's job. And so as long as they're doing it, then that's cool. But I would argue that that ain't right, that you got to um, know what the church's mission is. Um, I unfortunately will even say it this way, that I think there's a lot of people that love Christ that are sitting in bad churches, avoiding and ignoring what the Bible says a church needs to be. And um, yeah, I don't think that's good. So I think I think you need to kind of know what the church is and who she is and our responsibilities 
Because again, it's not just pastor's work, it's your work uh, if you're a believer. And so part of that is understanding the role of conversion and what it means and how that relates to the church. And so that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about conversion. And a little bit of anthropology will come in here, study of man, uh, along with soteriology, study of uh, salvation, for those of you that like theology words. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the fact, the reality that God changes people, that he takes dead people and makes them alive and seats us in the heavenly places and gives us a chair with our name on it that is our eternal dwelling spot in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we're going to talk about conversion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been... I, you know, just uh, nine marks. It just in generally, uh, general speak, generally speaking, when Deborah wrote the book, um, it's obviously not every mark of the healthy church, right? Right. Uh, even when we read it, like, oh, he should have added this and this and this, and yeah. Um, but these are, I think, it's relevant to our discussion that one of the reasons why conversion is part of that list is because uh, of the lack of understanding it has caused you know issues with churches today. Yes. So, yeah, I think it's definitely an important discussion to have, to continue having, um, especially because I think the churches today that are in existence, like, there's a lot of informal membership. Yeah. So I know we'll talk about that later as well. Yep. And it's like, how do you manage that? How do you understand? And or if we're if we're a body of Christ and we're united uh, to the head, which is Christ, what does that even look like? What should we look like? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's um, even so even so much that uh, one major difference uh, that you can see in churches and their their understanding of conversion is that the understanding of conversion is highly influential in the way that some churches organize their corporate worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the the whole seeker sensitive movement is built upon the this like hey we need to see people saved, and so then they organize their corporate worship around this hey well they just need to be evangelistic, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily us. And so we'll talk about that too on why that's not necessarily us and why I actually think biblically that's you know the better approach is to design your corporate worship around the converted, not around those who could be converted. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's a distinguishing mark that the nine marks makes, and I would say that's a distinguishing mark of Cornerstone, that our sermons and our corporate worship are wired uh, and geared for an audience of people who already trust Christ and want to grow in Christ, compared to those who don't know Christ, who need to know Christ. And so we'll talk about that. But uh, I think it's fair to start off with some definitions. So uh, somebody comes to you and says, hey, what does it mean to be converted? You Mm. guys want to give us your street-level definition? Street-level, I like that. You like that? Yeah. Yeah. Give give us your street-level from the hip. Street definition. Street definition of what does it mean to be converted? Yeah. Well, you know, Thomas walks the streets every day. He does. Right. You should, you should uh, street level. Yeah, <laughs> definitely street level. Yeah, I, I I think a person going from dead to alive, which you said in the, the introduction there, but a, but a person getting a new heart through faith in the gospel, and I think um, 
Ephesians 2 mm-hmm. will be someplace that we will go that, that spells that out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the classic way, uh, or at least that I was taught, was that you must be born again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yep. From John 3. Yep. If you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be born again. Yeah. Yeah, those, and those go together, right? Because Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sense of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And then verse 4, but... God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that we would know, uh, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hmm. It's pretty simple, but... You know, simple in the sense that we are walking dead. I know we've used that analogy that you don't need to watch AMC's The Walking Dead to see zombies. You just need to realize that unbelievers are walking dead. They're they're living zombies because they're dead in their transgressions and their trespasses. And by nature, they are children of wrath. And uh, all of us share that. That reality, there's not a human being alive, um, born of father and mother, who is outside or exempt from that, and that's the argument from Romans 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore all of us need to be converted. Mm-hmm. And then the reality is none of us can convert ourselves. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of a, which is good, and that he even makes that point here, by grace you have been saved, right? You can't save yourself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Gina, would you, uh, how would you define that street level? Yeah. So being born again, um, you know, it, it, when I think about conversion, um, it's really something that happens when a person repents and believe, believes the gospel. Um, they become converted. They become born again. They're, they're made alive. Um, their hearts, you know, they become a new creation, uh, you know, we become new creations. Um, so, yeah, it, it, we um, we cannot see God. We cannot know the, the things of God. We cannot understand spiritual things um, to the depth of, or at least to the, the depth that we should as a dead person. Like a dead person doesn't understand, you know, a dead person rejects God's authority, God's leading, uh, and the live person uh, submits to it and is longing to live by it. Um, that is life, right? So, yeah, street level, um, I would say that, you know, someone who's converted is someone who worships God. Yeah. Which is only through Christ. Yes. Yep. In him was life. Yeah. And the life was the light of men, John 1, 4. Hmm. Yep. So that that you know presents an interesting um, question because I think I think you have to then say okay so we use the word conversion which you noted before we clicked record that the word conversion is not even in scripture mm-hmm. 
but obviously the the word conversion conveys the reality of of what scripture is talking about it so it becomes a valuable word to the discussion because it's this reality that right converted is this idea of change mm-hmm. of some kind of reorienting of the mind and the will and the heart and when we talk about the heart we're using the heart in the biblical sense of the, the definition the biblical sense of the word which would be defined as like the motherboard of us um you know that 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 computer in us that changes right so we change out the motherboard get new parts our heart goes from dead to living our mind goes from idolatry to worship Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could say it that way. There, I mean, Scripture uses a lot. Yeah. Heart of stone to heart of flesh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of imagery, regeneration. Yep. Um, and so in there is even the work of the Holy Spirit because we can't make ourselves alive. God has to do that. And notably, God says the Spirit mm-hmm. uh, makes people alive. So, and in that, I think, right, and these are things we'll talk about, but even our responsibilities of understanding that and then... I think it brings up questions like, well, if conversion is the work of God, then what's our role? Uh, and our role is probably two or threefold, probably multifaceted side to that. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, why why does it matter for the church? Yeah, it's it's relevant because there's 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 uh, much implications uh, with the understanding of conversion. It, it really um, flushes out what we believe about God. Uh, it fleshes out what we believe about human beings, what we believe about sin, right? Um, it's it's relevant in our uh, in how we like, as you mentioned, design our worship, our our corporate worship. We design it for members, and what well, what are members? Members are those whom we vetted to be converted, right? Because of their testimony and their their. Um, their, their testimony of, of what happened to them, right, uh, with the gospel. Uh, it's relevant because um, it influences how we approach ministry. Uh, even things like communion and baptism. Like, well, who gets to take communion? Well, not just anybody, right? People who are converts are, should only partake in communion. People who are converts should only participate in baptism, Um so yeah, it's it's <laughs> those um, the implications for understanding conver- conversion uh, are, are many, or not at least what I've mentioned. But those are big deals, right? Because uh, how many do we know are made members that are not necessarily converted? Right? Mm-hmm. Is that a problem uh, as a church? Because um, mm-hmm. then you're asking people who are not converted to do the work of ministry. Or at least you're, that's the expectation of a church member, right? Like, they're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Well, how do you? How does a church member who's not converted do ministry? I don't know if that's possible. I don't think that's possible. So, um, yeah, those are my initial thoughts. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing something there. Anything else? I think it marks our affiliation as a Christian. Okay, yeah. But you know, you, you talked about that, right? Could you do ministry as a an unbeliever? And um, you know, I, I I see it. It's in the the form of people coming down for a served day, let's say. Gotcha. Uh, and we do good things in 
the dirty neighborhood. Mm, that's interesting. So then it, it, it influences your definition of what ministry is, I think. <coughs> yeah. Or it can. So, um, uh, yeah, but we're, we're doing good things for, for people. And then we leave at the end of the day and we'll see you next year mm. when, when serve day comes back around. And you're, when, you're, when you're saying served, you're talking about the ministry that you work at, um, people coming down and helping out. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, would, that, that definitely confronts uh, and reveals maybe even a definition of conversion, right? That um, for some, it's the idea that, well, Christians are called to help the poor, and that that's a very 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 important nuance there. I don't have a pulpit to bound. <laughs> um, that when we talk about Christians are called to help the poor, the question then becomes like: Is Christianity merely just I got converted to financially help people who are financially less important? Hmm. Um, what does poor mean? Right. That they make less money per year than you. Right. That they need this help. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you learn, serve, and love the people in the neighborhood, you see some things that, quite frankly, I, I don't know that we would see so much in, in some of the uh, more ritzier neighborhoods. And, and the amount of sharing and giving. Right. That come along. One of the, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. We have a, a refugee in the neighborhood and one of our families lives one building down, and they said, oh, we have some clothes we could give her. And she literally dropped in Vegas from uh, a faraway land, I won't say the, the country. And, and, you know, these people have nothing. Um, and, and she said, you know what, we, we don't have a lot of money, but what little we have left over we could help her with. And she was willing at the end of this, this is somebody we, we hire when we do events to do uh, cotton candy so that she can make a, a few extra dollars, willing to give their last dimes to help her. Someone who was dropped in, never met him, was giving him clothes for her, the daughter, and hey, we don't have a lot of money, but what, what little we have at the end, we could help her financially. And it was just amazing. Yeah, and even then, though, that's that's still not conversion necessarily. Yeah, yeah I wonder sometimes if... On the surface, right, it's, oh, I look at that neighborhood, and that's not the kind of neighborhood I would want to live in. So, therefore, uh, I want to help them by providing the kind of clothes I would want to wear. Mm -hmm. And can I help them get out of the kind of neighborhood I wouldn't want to live in, right? Mm -hmm. So, then conversion is actually not conversion. It's, can I can I give you a, a home makeover, right? Can I, can I get you on that ABC show home makeover mm-hmm. and can we get you out of your, you know, smaller than I would want to live in apartment and put you in a 2,100 square foot two story home with 80 inch TVs on every floor yeah. surround sound and nicer clothes. So if that, if that's conversion, then Jesus' preaching gets really weird. Right. Yeah. We, I think that's, you know, um, for people that think like that, I always want to, I want to ask this question, like 
take your understanding of ministry and don't cherry pick different things that Jesus says. Take the entirety of his ministry. Mm-hmm. Why did he then die for you? Because if that's ministry, um, then his death is irrelevant. Why, why didn't he? Why didn't he open a stock market and create investment opportunities that would make everybody rich? rich. Which is interesting too, because you can you can be financially not well off and very happy and content and actually be converted and have joy in your life because you know who Jesus Christ is. Exactly. Yeah. So the hard part with that view of that view of conversion is that it's it's temporal, right? It's this like, hey, if you have better living conditions, then that's good. But the problem is that doesn't face the big problem, and that is you're going to stand before Christ, and he's going to go, who do you say I am? And at that point, is it, well, you're the one that makes us financially better off? Well, that's going to be awkward because, you know, Scripture says there's going to be a lot who is going to go, I'm sorry, I don't really know who you are. Who are you again? You're not my child. And, you know, even think like America loves the rags to riches story, right? Like Kurt Warner shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Didn't have a hall of fame career. He's a good quarterback, but they love him because why he's this like kind of rags to riches guy who won a super bowl. And so, you know, let's make a movie after him and let's propagate him as the quintessential American who his dream came true. And so therefore, you know, he's glorious and magnanimous right there. There's a conversion story. Right. The problem is that's not biblical conversion. So yeah, uh, when I when you think about that with the church, you go, "What is the church? The church is a body of converted people." And if we define converted the way the Bible does, then you say, "Okay, it's a it is a community of spirit transformed people who recognize the lordship of Christ yeah. and believe Christ and trust Christ." Yeah, love in Christ. Yeah, so they they love Christ. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a body of people who say Christ is more important than anything else. Sure. Yeah. That's a fair discussion because right. You're, you're talking about the conversion, the kind of conversion, I guess the question is what are people converting to? Yes. And the reality is that there are people who preach, you know, a health wealth gospel, be healthier, wealthier, capitalistic, or, uh, a be more uh, be more moral gospel, or a be more nice gospel, or a no longer addicted gospel. You know what I mean, uh, or just a change of religious association gospel. Um, we're we're actually not. That's not what we're preaching. We're preaching repent and believe. Yeah. Uh, turn away from idols, and turn to the one true God, uh, and worship Christ as the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's a very narrow, narrow, narrow point of, of the kind of conversion we're talking about. Um, because fundamentally we're, we're saying um, we're summoning people to make the highest, um, the highest priority God himself uh, and not, the, not the chasing after a better life or a better, a better whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think you just you just brought up a second point, and I remember you sending us that picture from the book, one of the books you were reading on conversion. Uh, that I thought was interesting too, because 
the author was pointing out that conversion is not even just a morality change. Right. Yeah. And that, that I think is a, um, it's probably important to unpack a bit. Like, mm-hmm. why is it not just morality change? Why is it not just, you went from being, you know, uh, a liberal party goer, hedonistic person to a morally upright standard in the community. Yeah. Cause it doesn't make us the, 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 the change of behavior doesn't make us right before God. If it could, then that's what we should be preaching. But we're actually preaching, um, we're actually teaching people and discipling people to put their trust and faith in Christ and learn from him. And in the learning uh, of Christ and his ways and and the scriptures, um, yes, we actually are learning to... uh, the core of all the good things is really love, right? And I don't think you can learn love, true love, apart from Jesus Christ. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So there's uh, uh, being more moral. Um, I, I think it's it's temporary for one. Um, more morality that's not connected to the heart is a a very shallow morality, and it's always going to be based on someone else's standards, not God's standards. Uh, because God's ultimate standard is, um, you know, love one another as Christ loved you pretty much. You know, if I wrapped it up in, in one sentence and that's a different standard. That is a different standard. And then even, even for the church that becomes, um, a part of what you're looking at in the membership process or the baptism process is because it's not, um, converted to wanting people to be financially better off. And it's not even just converting to, hey, you finally got your morals right. But who does the converting is right. the question. And I think, so who does the converting? Because if I can't, if it's not just me transforming the way I think, mm-hmm. right? So, and that's to say, like we've, we read that, but God being rich in mercy, he made us alive together. And that becomes an important part of the conversion definition is yes, there's transformation, but the missing link at that point becomes who does the transforming. And so who does the transforming? Yeah, I mean, I, the way Jesus explained it, says, he says in John chapter 3, um, truly, truly, say to you, unless the one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Um, so to be born of the Spirit, there's a spiritual work that happens, and uh, the Holy Spirit is who transforms us through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and that's a unique work. That's something that cannot uh, a human being cannot do. We're, we're called to, to call people to Jesus Christ, but the Spirit actually does the work of converting the heart. Um, and that's unique because not actually not all churches believe that I think, and you can tell because they, you know, it's a say the prayer, raise your hand, and you're converted. You know what I mean? Um, but conversion is actually the work of this Holy Spirit, and that the fruit of the Spirit would be demonstrated in that person's life um, if if that person is born again. Yeah, Jesus says in. His uh, high priestly prayer in John seventeen six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And so at some level, even for the church, trying to establish who is a member, right? We're not, we are not testing people to say, do you, do you necessarily believe the right morality? Do you believe the right codes? We are looking at people saying, hey, do you, um, has God done the work in you? Mm-hmm. Has God made those changes? Mm-hmm. Because if God hasn't made the changes, any kind of change in your life or conformity or morality, uh, though though on the one hand maybe it makes life easier for your family or your friends, it's not doesn't it doesn't establish you as right before God. Right. Yeah. So we are we are looking for those people who right God has worked in. Right. It's not a superficial righteousness. Right. It's a righteousness that's actually um, foreign. Um, and it's foreign because it, it it doesn't it doesn't originate from our hearts. We have to be given new hearts. Mm. It has to be transformed. Um, and, and the renewing of our mind, right? That's like um, that's the work of the spirit as we as we gaze upon Christ and learn Him and and grow in our knowledge of Him. Uh, the spirit is the one that's changing us and working in us. So those are. It's really important because, again, like we can, um, we can make superficial converts. That's not the problem, right? And one of the title, one of the chapter titles in that book of conversion and nine mark series, uh, I love this title. You know, we summon people to Christ. We don't sell them to Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's not our job to make the sale and close it, right? It's actually our job to present Christ, and and the Spirit actually does the closing, which is a different model. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in John five um, definitely have a a religious moral code. You know, enough of which to where they're saying, "Hey, Jesus doesn't fit our moral code," and so they're indicting him, and you know. The Gospels record that they they accuse him of blasphemy. They accuse him of um, rejecting the Father. They accuse him of of being something. You know, how dare you make yourself equal with God? But what's interesting is is Jesus even says to them, "His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he has sent." And what's interesting is if you think about the Gospels, right? Um, when the Baptist asked, Hey, are you the one? He's like, well, go tell them that, that the deaf hear, the blind receive sight. And here in John, um, five he's almost saying, Hey, listen, you haven't, you, you're deaf. You're not hearing. You can't see because you're blind. And again, you don't, um, you don't have the word abiding in you because you don't believe. Hmm. And so because you don't believe in Jesus, then you cannot possibly be converted, which means you're going to reject the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so important to conversion and the discussion of unpacking who is the converted one, the converted one believes Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, we need to unpack that word belief because there's a lot of confusion there on the word belief. And I think it's important to kind of say, hey, belief is not a, um, you know, it's not a it's not one dimensional it's multi dimensional and i find 
that if you boil belief down to one to only one dimension mm-hmm. and you kind of don't have a a robust good definition of belief then chances are you're actually probably an unbeliever or your theology is really not going to be able to handle what scripture says and so your your practice is going to be off in and of itself mm. How, what define or like give us an example of um a one dimensional kind of view of belief or faith. Yeah. We're talking about faith, right? Yeah, yeah. Faith and belief. I'm kind of using these interchangeably. And so, you know, first of all, we understand that that nobody can save themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody can just, hey, I did these things and now I'm saved, right? It's not your works. The hard part with that is we are so um, economically driven. Even socialists are economically driven. I did these things. I got this. You know, it's not fair that everybody, that some people get this and some people don't. So we're going to make it fair and let everybody get this, you know? And so, um, even then there's some kind of level of somebody has to do the work for us to get this. Uh, and you know, it's possible that you have this understanding of, of your relationship with God that, well, if I do these things, then I'll be right with God. And the problem with that is that, that, that then takes away the Ephesians two eight for we, we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And so even in Romans, you know, the preacher preaches the word so that the word can be heard and believed. And so my definition of belief would be that here is a person that accepts Jesus Christ, accepts that he is who he says he is, part one. Part two, Mm -hmm. that you trust Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And in that trust, you're willing to submit your desires and follow him. And so if all you have is, oh, you mentally ascribe to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's it. You have the same faith the demons have. Mm -hmm. Because even the demons believe that he is who he says he is. Um, But obviously the demons are not saved, and there's no hope for their salvation, by the way. But the problem with that is that there's no trust. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'll hear people say, well, I accepted Jesus Christ. And you go, okay, if that's only the definition of faith, then what happens after that becomes problematic mm-hmm. because you can, you know, how many times have I talked to a drunk, or a drug addict, and they're like, oh, I accepted Jesus when I was five. And, you know, but I've been hooked on drugs since I was 12 or 13. And you just kind of have this like, where's the fruit of belief in your life? Mm -hmm. You mentally ascribed and that's cool. However, there doesn't seem to be an actual trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that his will is sufficient and that doing his will glorifies God. And so even in John 15, the abiding in Christ becomes a part of that, that, habitual trust, habitual belief. And so it's, you know, um, Hey, I made a decision for Christ. Cool. Well, you know, sometimes we all know those people who have made a decision for Christ at one point in their life, but nothing changed. No, no, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I made this decision. They joined a team, but they want to be the team captain. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, I'm going to convert to, to G- the team of Jesus Christ, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rule and reign in this team. It's going to be my way. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if he hits the Super Bowl, I'll watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. But I'm not really following him yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's that narrow definition of belief. Mm-hmm. Because here's there's this kind of like, oh, I accept him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, you, you can break that down even further. Some people are willing to accept some of Jesus and not all of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, I just can't accept a God that doesn't save everybody. Well, then you don't accept the living Christ. Right. You know, and and the reality is that Christ wants those people that don't believe to believe. However, you've got to realize that not everyone is called and not everyone comes to know the Lord. And as much as I wish that precious person in your life did or does, the reality is that's just not, that's not reality. Yeah, or there's also the guy that is like, is for the benefits of the gospel. Like, yes. um, I trust in Jesus. Like, they actually understand the contents I trust in Jesus Christ to be the atonement or the propitiation for my sins. I believe in that. But it stops there. It's like, well, but I don't forgive. I don't love people. I don't, you know, I don't actually treasure other human beings. Um, I love other human beings. So there's, it's like, uh, it's the same idea where like the trust is only in one aspect that's beneficial but it's not the whole Christ. It's a yes. Christ is the sacrifice for our sins, and 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 yeah, that's great that you get to go into heaven, and that's the way they sell it too. Hey, like you could escape hellfire mm-hmm. and have eternal life. You know, live for. By the way, that the idea of eternal life for some people is like, you know, um, hanging out with angels with small wings, listening to harp music, and it, it, it's way more robust than that. It is no more tears. It's abundant life. It's at the banquet table with the best meal, with the best company forever. Uh, it's joy, it's joy eternal. And, um, you know, the, sometimes we sell eternal life as just a long life. It's not, it's full life, it's abundant life. But uh, people want that, but they don't want, they, they want the benefits. It's that, that same mentality of they want an aspect of the gospel or the aspect of Jesus Christ, but not the whole Christ, right? Um, I think that there's uh, there's key words that you'll hear from people that, that are giveaways to that. You know, Jesus has my back mm-hmm. is one. Um, you know, I, I raise my hand. I said a prayer. There's another one that we talked about. Um, you know, I, I, I let him into my heart. Kind of deals mm-hmm. um, that that you might want to probe a little deeper on there if you're you know, evangelizing or, or talking to somebody with, because generally, um, you know, you'll see that it's, a, it's just an, a mental ascent. It's, it's, it's taken a portion of Jesus that I agree with, but these things that I don't, right? I'm supposed to love him more than my kids. I can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you have the, the wrong gospel. Yeah. Well, and, and even then... Oh, I prayed a prayer. I don't necessarily have a problem with that if you have a robust view of believing. Like, that is probably fair. You probably did, right? To the true believer, at some point you were like, wow, I've sinned against God. All right, Lord, please forgive me. Hmm. So I don't have a problem with the prayer. I have a problem with the theology behind the prayer. I have a problem with, well, you bought your life insurance. 
you pray to prayer. What are you worried about? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that to me, that negates the habitual trust. You know, do you trust Christ or not? Do you trust him that he is who he says he is and that his will should be your will and that his ways are your ways? Do you trust him that submitting your desires to follow him is better for your life with him than to just, okay, I can't get by this, um, you know, I can't, I can't get by this thought of Jesus being concerned about my sexuality. Well, he is. Right. You were, you, you've been going through doctrine of scripture. And I think one thing that clicked in my mind, and maybe you can talk to this a little bit more. So you're talking about this robust belief um, and, and kind of how people kind of just section off one aspect of Christ. Um, but like, can you speak to how Christ and the word are so intertwined that it's like, you can't just believe some of it, right? Right. Yeah. That's the sufficiency of scripture. If Christ is sufficient, then scripture is sufficient because scripture reveals all that we need for life and godliness. Mm. And so it doesn't matter at that point, what you're going through or your situations. And all of us are unique in, in a sense that our situations are different. Um, not everybody is, you know, not every husband is, is alike. Not every wife is alike. Therefore, you know, the relationships that you have with your husband and wife are not going to be similar to everybody else's. And yet we're all similar in the sense that there is a way to, to honor God in those relationships, you know, even knowing that your spouse is unique. And so at that point, okay, Lord, I trust you that I am here to live for you. That You have given me eternal life and I am to live in light of the reality of the treasure that I possess and you are sufficient and so therefore I look at scripture because scripture sufficiently conveys you to the point that I need to understand how to live as your scripture has called me to live. So to understand Christ is to understand scripture, right? Yes. Okay. And I do think there are some people who try to understand scripture mm. who disconnect it from Christ. Yes. And the Bible talks about that. Colossians 2 talks about this asceticism, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It has the appearance of godliness, but it's not. First um, Timothy, you know, don't, don't mess, don't, don't get entangled in these discussions that they appear to be good, but they're really not because you're really just wrangling about with words in the text. Uh, and, and he seems to be, in Paul's ministry, he is aware of what I call the religious-minded person who probably has major chunks of scripture memorized. However, there's no connection at all to this is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, Hey, here's a moral code. I, I think some sociopaths mm-hmm. are like that, right? They want to be an authority. They want to rule over people. And at some level they go, Oh, scripture. I recognize the authority of scripture. So if I learn and, and communicate what scripture says, then you'll do what I say mm-hmm. because I'm quoting scripture and you and I should both recognize it as its authority. And so even then you have the moralist enter and the moralist is going, well, but you're, you're not going to be a homosexual or a drug addict because that's, that's what the authority says. 
rather as I think the converted person has this kind of like, Hey, I want you to know Christ and I want you to know what, what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And so I'm communicating the word to you so that you'll understand who God is. And it's interesting because I didn't know for the longest time, I kind of was like, why, why are, why are we calling people Bible idolaters? Mm-hmm. And now it makes sense yes, because there, that is, um, now I don't always think that's true. I think there are some people that, that, that use the term Bible idolater, uh, who don't actually care about what scripture says. Right. They've fashioned God in their own image. And so when somebody brings up a Bible verse, that's their like defensive knee jerk reaction. You know, it's like, okay, you can't beat this one. I, my sword trumps your sword. Um, but I also think there are some people that have rightfully noted, oh, you know the Bible, but man, there's no grace in your life. There's no mercy. There's no forgiveness. There's no love. There's no, you know, you're not willing to reconcile with others. You Instead of reconciling, you accuse others of abusing you. And it's like, oh, these are not what the Bible says mm-hmm. about having a relationship with Christ. And... You know, so the relationship with Christ is a very missing component to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think the converted person has a relationship with God. And when they read the text, you know, the spirit is going to reconnect that to him and our worship of him. And so the converted person is a worshiping God person who is communicating the will of God because he or she wants to know God better and wants you to know God. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 true believer is a spirit led person, and the spirit leads them to desire to know God through His revelation. Yeah, uh, which is interesting because there are some people who have no desire to understand God uh, through the Scripture, um, and, and and they end up like creating their own thing. But um, but I, I love that discussion that. Scripture sufficient and Christ is sufficient, um, and, and a converted person is spirit led, and a spirit led person is always led back to Christ and His revelation. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's a good mark of conversion. Yeah, um, you know, and that's not to say the converted person can't go astray for a while, or be kind of foolish in his or her thinking and actions. Right? I mean, unbelief is still present in the converted person. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I think you could note that unbelief is at the heart of disobedience Mm -hmm. and belief is at the heart of obedience. And um, so for all of us, there's still places of unbelief, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean we're not converted. Right. Yeah. I think the difference, what's the difference in that one? How does it, how does a converted person, deal with the knowledge of his sin versus the unconverted person. Yeah. I think a converted person is always repenting. Um, the, the, there's that mark of repentance, a repentant life. When he realizes he's wrong, um, you know, he, he repents, he changes his mind. He, he realizes that the, the, the scriptures um, are correct and his way of thinking is wrong and he's willing to change and make that change. Um, and it's not always easy. I, I think that there's some things that we realize that we've been doing for, you know, it's built into our habits. It's almost like second nature. 
and uh, when scripture scripture confronts us, there, there's a little bit of um, uh, there, there's a little bit of uh, well, number one, right? There's 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 that uh, repentance and the need to repent from that. But then number two, there's that uh, learning how to learning how to walk in righteousness. That takes time sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so repentance at its heart is, the word just means turn, mm-hmm. turn around. Right. Yeah. So what are some, like when you hear people talk about repentance, even that, there's some pitfalls, mm-hmm. you know. What what are some of the pitfall, the, what are some of the common errors people have when they think about repentance? I think for I, when when I'm thinking about pitfalls, um, you know, sometimes it's solely an emotional experience. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know that idea of uh, I forget where it's at the remorse versus um, uh, what is that dichotomy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, Oh yeah, remorse versus um, well, Second Corinthians seven uses uh, versus a godly sincerity. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that emotionalism um, versus an actual desire to want to worship Christ in this way, and part of that worship is changing, turning. So the act of turning, right, is is really important, and um, for a believer. You know they're going to try to do everything it takes to to, to turn and and worship God rightly, so that He can please God, He can honor Him in all He does. So, but as, as far as pitfalls, um, uh, maybe maybe it's taking the uh, what I think what you said is is so correct. Uh, turning, returning to God, changing your worship that it might become almost. Legalistic, in a sense, of don't do this, don't do that, oh, I could as do opposed that. to worship. I could do that. Yeah, because, uh, well, I, you know, struggled with my drug addiction, but I've been sober for 10 years, so my repentance is true. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you actually turned to God. To God, right. Yeah. Well, you've probably seen that too, right? Like what Gino's talking about, how many drug addicts do you know that get busted by the family and there's this kind of like immediate repentance, repentance, remorse, which is more remorse than repentance, where it's kind of like they appease the family to get the family off their back so that they can go back to their regular scheduled life. Right. Yeah. So that you've probably seen that, right, with the drug addict. I mean, you know, hey, Johnny got busted. Johnny cleaned himself up, and then three weeks later, fame was like, well, Johnny was doing so good. What the reality was, he was just lying during the whole time. Yeah, and usually you see that in cycles. He's yeah. doing so well until it happens again. Yeah. Well, okay, and, but that's on the other side. I think that's the other pitfall I've seen. Um, well, Johnny hasn't truly repented. Oh, why hasn't he truly repented? Well, because he did it again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Wow. So if, if, if repentance means perfect, then the question might 
be asked, have any of us truly repented? Yeah. Um, some, some of us, right, are like still, oh, you know, I repented of envy like 25 times, you know. So I guess if envy, I guess if the in that in that person's case, if the lack of envy or the lack of self control, you know, if that one fruit is a struggle, and we ignore all the other fruit and changes that God has done in that person's life, right? Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. sometimes we isolate a certain action, and we say, "Well, that action hasn't changed," so we question his or her repentance. And sometimes you have growing people who lo- who are becoming more like Christ. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, the sanctification process. Yeah, so maturity, wisdom. Yeah, and that that manifests how though. What do you mean? Yeah, so like um, they, you know, a sanctified person is growing to be more like Christ, mm-hmm. and you even take your like take your uh, Galatians five fruit of the spirit list. Right, that maybe the person has started to adopt better self-control, better faithfulness, but maybe still, you know, maybe still kind of a hothead. We mm-hmm. call him a hothead because he's still wrestling with some of his anger issues. Mm-hmm. And yet, you can see when the anger issues aren't there that there there's a growth in love, there's a growth in kindness, there's there's a um, selflessness. an actual humility that's starting to come out in different times and situations. But Hey man, he still just loses it too much on his kids or, you know, on his wife or, you know, like he's still wrestling through the anger issues. So we, we might be able to say, Hey, has he truly repented of his anger issue? But I think that, I think one of the pitfalls is we say, well, we can still clearly see this sin in the person's life. So obviously they're not converted. Whereas to me, that seems to be, we isolate rather than look at the totality of the totality, person. Totality, yes. right. And I, I think there's got to be some kind of balance there, right? Yeah, because uh, well, we talked about that, right? Is it a one-time event? Yeah. Or is the spirit leading you to those things, right? And, and, and we need to heed to the spirit that's leading us on this process here. Yeah, so there are going to be points on plots on the map of, yeah, it was really bad here, and I started to get better, and and now I have that under control. And I think that you 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 get that in time. Um, repentance is part of that, but but also wisdom and and just being more mature in the Word or, or with believers in your local body that are, that are helping you, your local church that are helping you. And, and yeah, we're all on this process, right, till final sanctification. Yeah. So when we get to final sanctification, like okay. Where am I on these things? Some things I'm going to be better at than other things. Yeah. Yeah, glorify, Yeah, because none of us are in glorified form. Right. Which is the, the technical term for final sanctification. But it's, um, you know, you take, you take your friend in the seeker-sensitive church who generally says he loves Christ, uh, and you can even see some changes, but then you ask the question, well, why don't I see a depth in this person's maturity? And sometimes you kind of have to go, why would this person grow past his body, the body of believers that he's in, mm-hmm. when the leadership itself doesn't seem to weigh some things that are important 
you know, so why would he weigh him as important? Right. You know, he's, he's being led to think, well, did you pray a prayer? Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting conversation because our understanding of sin, right. Has to come from a biblical point of view. Cause you know, th- there are things that, you know, Christians call sin are, that are not necessarily, necessarily sin. You, you describe it as hey, sin is not bottled up. Right. Yeah. But then there are things that are sin, legit sin that people kind of just wash over. Like it's not a big deal. Like, Oh, anger is not a big deal. No, envy is not really that big a deal. I didn't hurt anybody, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe that's the different, that's maybe what Second Corinthians 7 that you brought up talks about, like the godly grief versus worldly grief. Yeah. Godly grief is kind of like, hey, I offended God yeah. versus, oh, no, I got caught. Yeah. You know, is it the heart of, the heart of understanding the, the sinfulness, this, that sinful attitude, you know, that is, brings about godly grief. Like if you understand that, hey, this is not God's character. I, I'm I need to change. Hmm. Maybe that's the heart of it, you know. Versus just, oh, you know, it, it hurt no one. It's not a big deal. It's like, oh no, well, it's a big deal to God. Mm-hmm. He died for that. Yeah, <laughs> Christ actually died for that sin. Hmm. Um, and he, yeah. So uh, it, it should be weighed rightly, um, but that comes from understanding, and so. Um, you know, that's why like understanding the scriptures and Christ, like the scriptures are sufficient. Okay, if they are, let's let's try to understand them. That's where our wisdom comes from. That's where our that's where our godliness is going to be generated from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to be connected to Christ. Yeah, and so if your church leaders have a narrow understanding of God in His attributes, mm-hmm. so that love is the only attribute. Mm-hmm. Then it's hard to expect your professing believer friends in those churches to grow past that, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you know, and then sometimes you know they're not even aware that he's omniscient, right? You know, and so they go to marriage counseling, and you know they get a boundaries discussion. Well, set the boundaries with your with your wife. Or, you know, your your wife is not, or your, your husband's just not loving, so you, you are welcome to leave the relationship. Yeah. Because, again, that narrow definition of, of God as one thing becomes a problem. Because you are now, right, it's, that relationship is meant to bring you love because God brings love. Right. And the problem with that is that, yes, your spouse should love you. However, you are also in that relationship to be a light to that person. Mm -hmm. And when that person sins, your stalwart conviction to be led by God and the spirit, should there be on display to your spouse to there's hope and forgiveness in Christ. Yeah. So if it's just love and you're not getting love, right? And yeah, it's probably a wrong view of love too. Yes. Oh, yeah. to- oh totally. Yeah. 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 I sometimes wonder because we we hit love a lot. I'm sure there's people like, man, those guys are like secret sensitive church, because I think unfortunately in conservative circles, love is viewed as a liberal uh, characteristic, which is really bad because first for Timothy one five, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. 
which means that the reason why you're reading scripture is to understand that. But, but you see my point, right? That like, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you devoid it and you, you got the truth from that, from that definition of God or from his characteristics. And then you boil him down to that one, mm-hmm. which is why one of the worst things we can do is boil God down to one attribute when he communicates himself as many attributes. Yeah. And transcend it in the sense that's like, Hey, even though you think you understand me, you don't because I'm deeper than what you know. Right. Yeah. I think it's the importance of the, the first Mark expositional preaching. Yeah. Right. That, that you're hearing from the word of God. Uh, when you were talking about the seeker sensitive, that you just don't grow in intellectually to the, to the height of the pastor, the preacher boy. Um, that that is in the Word of God, but yeah, there's there's someone close, and, and the gospel message is Jesus really, really, really loves you, which is true. Um, but there's nothing to repent from mm. in, in that message because they they shy away from talking about sin. Yeah, man, God died because you're lovable. Yeah, whereas John three sixteen actually says that God loved you and you know he loves you because he sent his son. That's how he loved you, to redeem you, to reconcile you. And so in that reconciliation, you know, even even in there, the, right, the cross and the great act of, of God is reconciliation so that we can be converted. Yeah. So I think we, we've kind of danced around it, but let, let's let's like kind of pinpoint this this issue here so that if you're listening, you kind of understand, right? There's There's a principle at play here. And that is that in the way you do ministry, it really does matter if you're talking to a converted person or a non-converted person. Mm-hmm. And we didn't bring that up, but we started to kind of dance around some some examples and some subject matter that reveal that, right? And so what's the difference between ministering to a converted person and a non-converted person? So Thomas, what like what's that difference? Well, non-converted person evangelizing the gospel. Okay. Um I think to a to a believer, you know, we're, we're we're called to confess to each other, right? To exhort each other, to build each other up in love, uh, to worship together, and, and things like that. Um, most of what I'm doing is unbelief, you know, out of out of work, um, and, and it's it's in that it is serving and loving, you know. There, there's three and a half, four year conversations going on with people all about the gospel. Um, that, you know, it's that, that sometimes in the relationship and growing and, and in that learning and serving that, that you kind of build up equity that you could speak into somebody's life and have honest discussions and they trust you and will tell you honest things um, about themselves. But for the non-believer, it's going to be evangelizing. It's going to be all about the gospel. It's interesting because, I mean, when you think about Christ's ministry, it's like all the all the heathens and sinners and tax collectors, they wanted to be around him, and all the religious people rejected him. Yeah. And yeah, there's something about Christ and his humanity um, that was so attractive to people. I think that's what you're talking about in, as, you're, as you're ministering to people. Here, here's a compliment. Somebody just went back to their home country. They moved back uh, a week ago Friday. And he looked at me and he said, Tomas, he said, I love you. Mm. That was his goodbye to me. Oh. And that meant all the word to me because the ministering 
with this family for you know almost four years. I think it'll be four years in April. Wow, you know that meant a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's even for you know um, most most of us in the church are put in position to give counsel to other people to give you know to try to help people out, and that's not just right. I mean, it's it, you can listen. And I go back. Well, yeah, you're you're on the pastoral staff. That's probably what you do all the time. But even when you didn't have the title pastor, that that happens all the time, right? Hey, how's your weekend's good? Did you watch the game? Yeah, the game was good, blah, blah, blah. We had a great game. You know, my team lost, and oh, that started an argument because my wife is mad because it was sour and, you know, about the team loss. And I kind of, you know, and so then you, you find yourself giving counsel to that person or, hey, you know, well, what do you think I should do? Like my wife thinks maybe like I'm too into football. Well, if you're talking to a converted person, then you can give them biblical wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're talking to an unconverted person, then that that definitely changes the way you're dealing with things, right? Because, well, do you love Jesus Christ? Well, no, I just come because, like, uh, it makes my wife happy when I come to church and, you know, like, happy wife, happy life. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work before God. Hey, God, I was just, you know, I came to your church because happy wife, happy life. Well, that's not going to work, right? So in that situation, to the unbeliever, you're like, well, brother, you probably, you know, you may you may have a worship problem. Like, really? Why are you in, Why are you so into the New England Patriots? Like, multiple problems there, but super, <laughs> you know, why are you too into them? Uh, but, but to the unbeliever, right, you can use that as, hey, yeah, your sins are weighing you down. And look, your sinfulness affects your family and... You know, you're you're too wrapped up and your your identity and affiliation is completely in this sports team, you know, and you live for this sports team and you're dying for this sports team, you know, and man, that's all that's gonna weigh you down. That you're feeling the weight of your sinfulness, brother. Like you you need to realize like Jesus Christ is greater than that. Um whereas with a believer, you know, you could probably talk about you know, you could start to give them counsel on, hey, in God's sovereignty, they just decided to get smoked by the bills. And, you know, you can you can just go, you know, you can talk about those things that that are reality mm-hmm. in the world, you know. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. There's a really great chapter title in, in the Convergent book. It, it's it, under ministry, and it says, um, Assess Before You're Sure. Hmm. And I think that's helpful because um, I think part of the problem in America is that everyone's a Christian. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not in the, not in the West coast and East coast, but like, you know, uh, maybe where maybe more where you're from. Um, but even, but a lot of people I run into, they're, they're, they're some kind of Christian. Right. So, you know, it's not like the first thing you do is not just, Hey, you know, you, you know, assume that they're a believer. You got to actually assess where they're at. Um, before you assure them, right. Um, and so that's helpful for us as a church because uh, part of our job is to do that. Now, we can only do it, I mean, we could, uh, that doesn't guarantee that every single person is necessarily a b- believer, but it it helps us understand who we have before us and how we can help them and where they need to be. So if they're missing some vital information to what it means to really be truly converted, then you can actually give that to them. Like, well, you know, that's great that you know that, but actually like, you're, you know, think about this. What about these scriptures? What What do you do with that? You, you need to you need to yeah. repent from these things. I mean, how do you reconcile that with being a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, and 
that's part of so right the goal of ministry ultimately is, is to make disciples um and so if you're not if if that's not the ultimate goal then the question is are you really doing ministry uh, you might be but not christian ministry you might be doing some kind of other ministry because ministry is just service right you're doing some kind of service but um we're called to do christian service yeah yeah, that's a big distinction. Um, and I think it's a big distinction because um, even in that assessment, you're not the conversion police. It's a reality that, again, even believers don't fully understand the gospel sometimes. And so even then, no matter what in your assessment, giving somebody the gospel is helpful. You know, and you think about... um Okay, so you're talking about, yeah, man, you had a hard week at work with your boss. Hmm, yeah, oh, your boss was unreasonable. On Monday, he tasked you with this big assignment, and he said you have, by, you have to finish it by Friday, and then Tuesday you walked in and you were, you know, you were making headway on this project, and it was good, and uh, then you got there, and on Tuesday, he came up and said, oh, here's another project that has to be done by today. And so you're like, well, okay, I got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to do it. You know, then Wednesday does the same thing with another project's got to be done by the end of the day. And you're like, what about that other project? Oh, no, you got to get them both done, the one by Friday, the one by the end of the day. Then Thursday comes in and changes it up. You know, you're sitting there like, man, but now I'm halfway done with this project. And he comes in and he drops new criteria and I got to change my plans. I got to redirect. I got to go a whole different direction. I got to do this. And, you know, Friday afternoon he comes and he says, well, here's some more changes I need you to make. And you're like, man, this guy's super, super, super unreasonable. This is, this is nuts. You know, and so you're talking to your friend here, and he's super mad, um, so mad the dog's barking in the background, <laughs> that um, you're like, yeah, I just went off on my boss. And, you know, this isn't the first time he's done this. You know, I've been working for the company for five years. This guy does this every other week to me. And what's interesting, right, is you go to First Peter two, thirteen. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not use your, using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Hmm. So here you are going, okay, now my counsel is, hey, I understand your boss is um, very difficult to work for. You know, but listen, you you have to respect them and you, you have to, to do good and gentle even to this guy. And that's actually rooted in the gospel because listen to his explanation. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, for to this you have been called, 
And here it is, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." And what I think is interesting about that, right, is that that counsel of, listen, you've got to be good to the unreasonable boss. You've got to honor this unreasonable person is rooted in in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And your example, do, do you understand how the gospel should affect? That's the kind of thing a converted person can understand. Yeah. yeah. You know, like when we talk, when we talk to a converted person, and they're talking about their sin to somebody else, and you say to him, listen, you have got to go pursue reconciliation because you sinned against him. Mm. The converted person goes, yeah, because that's the cross. The unconverted person might drop things. Yeah, that's (laughs) not fair. Um, Oh, I deserve better than this. Um, Well, you don't don't understand, so so I just like... I'm just supposed to roll over and take it, you know, like yeah. a thousand excuses, but not one of never is the comment from the unconverted person. Hey, you know how gracious God is to me. Maybe I could be that gracious to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, right. Even so to me, the counsel to a converted person or to an unconverted person, right? Because if you told that to an unconverted person, well, God still died for you in your unreasonable state. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's the guy, you know, beneficially yeah. the way. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Assess before you assure. Assure. Yeah. 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 And, but even then, give them hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Where are we at on conversion? Uh, well, we kind of defined things. We, we talked about, um, so we really talked about why it's, it's important for, for um, the church. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, ministry, um, we haven't really. Oh, we kind of touched up on evangelism, right? Yeah, yeah we talked. To, we talked to about the definition of belief. So you've you've heard belief is uh, to accept, to trust, and to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about right. The, the right goal is to know God, and that if if any other goal in Christianity is there, conversion is going to look different. Mm-hmm. Right. We're not trying to make people masculine men and feminine women. We're trying to make them like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not trying to make them, you know, capitalists. We're trying to make them like Jesus Christ. Um, not yeah, yay, yay, capitalism. And obviously, I'm on board with biblical manhood and womanhood. But you see my point, right? Like you misdefine those. The end goals and conversion and following is going to be different. It always has to be: Do you know Christ, and are you going to worship Christ? Yeah, amen. Um, I think one thing I want to say though just to maybe add is parents and kids, you know, parents, your goal is not to convert your kids. Your goal is to do the evangelism to your kids and pray that God would convert them. Amen. And, uh, this brings up some interesting situations. Do you let your kids take communion? Oh, well, no, not if they're, not if they're unconverted. 
<laughs> right. But what if they, what if they can say to you, dad, I know that communion is to remember the gospel. Mm-hmm. Is that enough? Why? Why is that not enough, Thomas? Is that just a mental ascent? Okay. Yeah, I think that would be potentially the belief part, the misdefinition mm-hmm. of belief. Right. Yeah. Mentally, I, I, I've been sitting here week after week after week, and I have the jargon down in my mind, mm-hmm. right? And I could regurgitate that. But... Yeah. Is there a conversion? Is there a, a, a new heart? Is there... I mean, just... Go down a little bit deeper than that, than just that. That okay? Is this just a mental ascent, or is this a new heart? Yeah, yeah. I think parents have to assess that. Yeah, yeah. I would probably be slower to say yes mm-hmm. than quicker to say yes, mm-hmm. because the thing is that a believer can let the cut pass and be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you really do have to look. You have to almost think like, I think one of the things I, I'm asking is, do I see evidence of conversion Monday through Saturday yeah. that would lead me to say communion should be a part of your life? Mm-hmm. You know, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. Is is your kid can, willing to confess sin? Uh, especially if you have other kids in the house, man. The other kids. The beauty of having multiple kids is it really does not let them hide their <laughs> their belief. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I think there's something about the cut passing that tempts people to want to participate. And I would be afraid, are you just wanting to participate because that's what everybody's doing? Yeah. Are you just want the little cup of grape juice and the little piece of bread? Do you, is it that like snack time for you, like Christian snack time? Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, I think these are all fair questions to run through. Yep. Uh, I think from our standpoint, because we have every now and then we get somebody asks us, right? Like, hey, do you know somebody's kid participates in the Lord's Supper? Which kind of almost becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. Like the church has fought over this issue. By the yep. way, their church history has yep. got some bloody ink. Yeah. Maybe, maybe to to explain what we practice a, a little bit more of an open communion approach. Yeah, to where yeah we're not saying only members, we're saying believers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in that, we're recognizing that um, around the banquet table, all believers from around the world are going to join. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closed communion, in my opinion, is focusing on the local community. Mm-hmm. of people that they've guaranteed are believers. And I actually don't know that there's a right answer on that one. Right. Um, I think it's kind of a, a your, I think there's some preference in the which way you go. Now I know somebody, I know there's some guys that would listen to our explanation of that and go nuts. They would be, they would, they would be on Twitter right now, hashtagging us. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a contentious issue. But, but in that we have, we have tended to, to err on the side of grace and trusting the parents. But my warning to parents, I think, would be, listen, you are not to let your kid participate 
in the community Lord's Supper event, if your kids are not saved, you are actually presenting a problem to the community. Mm-hmm. Because that's that that is similar to the issue in First Corinthians where they were participating in an ungodly way. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them were getting drunk, so they may not have even been saved. I mean, they may have been and they may not have been. Um, the Lord knows. But but other people were to stop participating. Uh, now, I would definitely say if you see some kid grab it and you don't think that kid's saved, like, I would I would err on the side of grace. Like, I wouldn't put the bread down because I saw, you know, some unbeliever kid there. Right. You know, if two gay people came in and participated in Lord's Supper, I wouldn't, like, necessarily stop. You know, I wouldn't stop and be like, well, I can't participate because they're participating. But on the flip side, I do think it's an issue that if you're a parent and somebody comes up and says something to you, I think you should be ready to, to realize, Hey, out of an act of love, that is a, that is a legitimate question to be asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. I, I think, well, two things, your assessment of the child, you know, Monday to Saturday is very helpful. And then, um, and then second, the second thing, never really thought through that. Like, yeah, the, the, because I've always thought through, you know, it's a danger to that person who receives it in an ungodly way. Mm-hmm. But it's also a, a, a witness of the community. It's like, um, it's the idea, yeah, it's being the, that's really what it means to be unequally yoked, right? Yes. It's like you're, you're, you're participating with a sac- in the, sacred, the sacredness of communion with an unbeliever. Yes. You, so it's almost like you're telling the world, hey, they're with us. And we're actually not saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think back in those those I think we can err on the side of grace and be okay because back in those days it probably was very distinct when someone took communion versus today where it's like everyone takes communion. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, that's a fair question. That's a fair discussion to have though. I, like I think that. so. Yeah. Um but but in that, right, in that first Corinthians passage, you are not to participate in the Lord's Supper if the church wasn't wasn't really holy in its approach. Right. And uh, that unequally yoked—that's a—that's a really important nuance there. That—that that is not saying you can't have unbeliever friends. That's mm-hmm. not saying you can't be friends with somebody till they're converted. Mm-hmm. It is not. In fact, he even says I think in First uh, Corinthians late four or late five, he says, "Well, then you'd have to leave the world." Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about basically accepting other people in the church as believers who are unconverted. Correct. And I, and so even even there, that's why conversion and memberships become a big part. You know, we've had people come up to us and say things like, "Hey, are you aware so and so was was doing this?" And it's like, "Well, so and so is not a member, so we don't know if so and so saved." Right. Like the the things you're saying, you're saying you've seen them outside of the church doing these things. Well, this is the opportunity for you to go minister to that person. Yep. And because they're not a member, we don't know if they're converted or not. Yep. Don't assure them. That's yeah. the first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, that's why we don't. That's why you have to be a member to be up on stage at all. Yeah. Because you know we're not gonna we're not gonna put somebody up there who doesn't love the Lord and isn't converted. How do you how do you ask an unconverted to lead us in corporate worship? Right. Yeah. And so that's that's where conversion becomes instrumental in the church, right? Like the converted people should be encouraged to do ministry the local gathering on Sunday is, is about equipping converted people to do the work of ministry. 
So if you're if you're coming in saying, "Hey, we're we're making this service about evangelism," well, then you're not necessarily equipping your local congregation to do evangelism. Mm-hmm. At the same token, the preaching of the, God's word is not going to return void, and God God can use the most wisdom oriented sermon to still save somebody. Mm-hmm. And so we preach the word, knowing that we're we're praying that it sanctifies the the converted, and that it calls it summons the unconverted to believe. Right. And and that's really what we're trying to do. And so, you know, ultimately the Spirit's going to do His work. The Word's not going to return void. Somebody leaves convicted of their sins. Somebody leaves encouraged by their righteousness. Somebody leaves realizing Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. that's that's the Spirit's job at that point. But yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, right? Because as a parent, I want my kids to be converted, but I think the danger is coercing conversion. Yeah. You know, making them feel secure and a converted that they're converted when they maybe aren't because you as a parent really want them to be converted. Mm-hmm. You know, and that also explains things that also should help your parents understand like, well, I find church boring. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you find the word of God boring? Why do you find the things of God boring? Is it because you're not converted? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, unbelievers tend to not find... Right, they have all the wrong reasons for assessing corporate worship. Well, it's not entertaining. Uh, the pastor's not funny enough. There should be more jokes. Well, it's not a comedy hour, right? It's it's we're here to exalt God, uh, and I think that's important to realize because you will have people assess corporate worship or the church, and and again, if they're your friend who's there who's an unbeliever assessing the church you have to realize they're assessing it as an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of their assessment is those are all things that you can, those are all points that reveal who you're talking to that you can actually learn about that person through their criticism and assessments. I just didn't find it entertaining. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think corporate worship should be entertaining? Well, yes. Well, why is that? Well, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, but the Bible says this, is it possible that you're motivated by the wrong motives? You know, and so you can, you can, you can learn how to ask probing questions Mm -hmm. that hopefully would reveal to that person, Hey, you you need a savior. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really helpful actually. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you can sit through infinity war and Endgame in one sitting and you know, people do, it should show you that if you're interested in something, you can sit through quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, not saying that we're trying to make things boring from the pulpit or from from in the songs we sing or corporate worship, but but it is a mentality, right? That that we are here to equip the converted, not not necessarily to make the unconverted enjoy being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we want them to know that we love them, and so we hope when they leave, I have no problem with it with an unbeliever saying, "Man, those people were so loving." And corporate worship was so boring. <laughs> that doesn't actually doesn't yeah. bother me, right? Because, yeah. well, good. You now realize that corporate worship is, f- hopefully what you realize is that corporate worship is fueling and teaching us to love you. To love and you experienced the sanctification of corporate worship. You just don't realize because you don't, you don't, you don't have the same God we do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's, um, they don't realize that the, the, the thing that they yearn so deeply for is the love of God. Yes. And they sense that from the congregation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they have the love of God. Mm-hmm. But they're actually not looking for the love of God 
or they're looking for the they're they're looking for that love in the wrong places. So they're they they go to you know they'll try to find it somewhere else and something else. Yeah, but um, yeah, you know, God's love is unmatched. Are you are you familiar with this C.S. Lewis quote? By the way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Mm. That is a fin- that's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. Um, and spot on. Like, yep. yeah, the unconverted are uh, basically that, right? They are trying to find infinite joy in finite things <laughs> in finite things yeah. that are not designed to provide infinite yeah. joy. Yeah. And, and he's right. Right. I mean, whether it be substances or sex or ambition or your, you know, um, well, how does the community, even in good me? things like yes. marriage and yeah. relationships and jobs and careers, you know, it's like, uh, that becomes their identity. Yeah. And really, like our identity was meant to be in God in Christ. Yes, and only the converted have that. Yep. Yeah, and so the unconverted are the, even though they're still made in the image of God, uh, and they're valuable because of that. Right. That doesn't mean that their identity is in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the, for our evangelism. This is why this 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 discussion becomes more important because in our evangelism, what we need to realize is that they're valuable human beings because they're made in the image of God, but they're lost in terms of their understanding of what worship is, mm-hmm. who their treasure really is, right? They're just blind and deaf to, to what should be seen and heard. And so it's our job to communicate what should be seen and heard and then to trust the spirit to convert. Yeah, because you can't manipulate the unconverted to converted. Mm-hmm. And that that's the part. Like they would say that Spurgeon and um uh Wesley and uh who, who's the other big famous guy? Whit, uh, Whitfield. Whitfield. Yep. Um when they preached, right, they would they would really because they would they would travel around, they were itinerant preachers. They would preach, mm-hmm. you know, one sermon twenty five times. And and if you don't think that really matters, man, I can tell you what on the fifth or sixth time I've preached a sermon, like things, it's, it sounds way better than it is. Any preacher sounds better if you've preached the same sermon 20 times. But those guys would really try to, to, to paint to people, you need to be converted, but you can't convert yourself. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a good tension to present to people. Uh, one one uh, author, pastor, you know, made the point that, hey, you have unbelievers in this world who they don't care about other people's standards of right. What they want is to be free. And they're looking for freedom from government, freedom from oppressing, freedom from the majority, freedom from this this cultural standard. And really good point there, that, that ultimately they need to realize they're slaves to sin, and it's the sin that is weighing them down. And that cry only in Christ is their freedom offered. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think when you I, I think when you start to realize the distinguish between 
am I talking to a converted person or an unconverted person? Now you can actually have wisdom in your ministry. Yep. Because the unconverted person, you should not be shocked when they act like an unbeliever. Right. I'm always shocked that believers are shocked by unbelievers' actions. Can you believe what that guy did? Well, he's an unbeliever. I'm actually shocked he wasn't worse than what, than what it was because it could have been worse. Right? So that tells me, hey, with unbeliever, and maybe that's an oversimplification of categories. Unbeliever, preach the gospel. Believer, remind them of the gospel, but then try to give them wisdom to navigate the gospel and to be so that the gospel is an example for how they live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think on the coercion part, you also have to be very careful because you could do something very damaging and create a false convert, someone who thinks that they're walking this way, but they're actually walking that way. Um. And be very careful of that. Um, yeah, that's a reality. So, yeah, and I think I think the prevention of that is to remember the target is to worship Jesus Christ. Exactly, because the Pharisees absolutely converted people. And you remember what Jesus said about their disciples: "You make them twice the sons of hell as hell. you are." Yeah. And and that's interesting. Um, uh, I mean. If you're a student of business, how many how many stories do you know of senior hands the job off to junior and junior's a super disciple of senior, both in good and bad, and sometimes ruins the company because the bad that senior wasn't as bad in. You know what I mean? Like he these good great strengths, but he had some couple weaknesses, but junior's weaknesses are twice as like they're the same weaknesses, but but he their weaknesses on steroids, and the company crashes because the weaknesses of the CEO drive the company into the ground. And you know there there's there you have it. The disciple was twice the sons of hell, and converted him to his ways, but also had converted him to his imperfections. Mm-hmm. Which again, for parents, we need to realize that 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 sometimes is natural in our kids. That our kids sometimes are are the are the better version of us and the worst version of us. This is true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, humbling. Um, but that's and you know, I I hope listening to this. I hope maybe you're sitting there. Um, and there's a there's a slight bit of despair in you when it comes to your kids and family members who who are unconverted. Yep. Right, and, but I hope the despair drives us to our knees. To Lord, please save my kids, mm-hmm. you know, save save my family members, save my coworkers. Um, because I think that's the right response. Yeah, and then Lord, help me be wise at communicating the gospel. Th- this is one of those things that I know we're going to be talking about more and more as the future comes. That we we want to be more, um, for we want to be more proactive in helping equip people to evangelize and not, not because we can convert them, but because we recognize that the role that we play in the conversion topic is to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so you have to share the gospel. You have to communicate it and you have to love people the way Christ loves us. There's a lot here, man, this, you guys woke me up. <laughs> yeah. We started off, this was, this was the time we started was definitely my mental lull, but you guys yeah. had a lot of great things to say, but you got my brain turning. Why did you do this? I blame yeah. you guys. Evangelism does that to us. It does. Well, I think this just actually became our longest podcast too, by the way. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, we have eclipsed. I don't know. It doesn't tell me the time. It just tells me the bars. Oh, we're wow. at 28. We're almost at 2,900 bars, which I don't know what that means time-wise. <laughs> Do you guys know what that yeah. means? I don't know. All right. Anything else that we mentioned that we missed? There's, I mean, there's obviously tons here. Yeah. Because we, I was taking notes as you guys were yeah. talking. And I think the one, the one thing that just cements in my mind, just in regards to this conversion, like, um, you know, you can't separate um, a person, a person's worship from like their love for God and, and their love for this and their love for his revelation. Like it's, it's, um, it's not one or the other, but like a, a converted person wants to know God more deeply, loves yeah. God because, uh, they were first loved by him. Yeah. Um, and that's so compelling because who, I think it's like, that, and that's part of our repentance when we realize we're not lovable. Like, why would God love us? And a, a, repented pers- a repentant person, a converted person, understands that they weren't worthy to be loved, but the the God of all creation um, loved us first. And not only that, but sent his son, who went in obedience to the cross um, for the love of the Father and, and died for us. And the Spirit was so gracious to convert our hearts. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a gospel, be converted. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that's the right response. Yeah. You know, when you give the gospel, what's the right response? You need to respond with belief and repentance. There you go. Are you respond. willing to trust Jesus Christ? Yeah. yeah. Well, All right. 2,900 bars. That's yep. Yep. Well, you know, there's so many things we didn't talk about, but we kind of hit on it, like false conversion. It's not just emotionalism. Um, I think, yeah, I think if you apply the definition, belief, trust, ongoing belief, and ongoing trust, and then you realize that your works are not there, to, to be the assurance of your salvation, right? The assurance of your salvation should be Christ. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, if you're not willing to follow him, then it is fair to ask, do you really trust him? Right. Yeah. All right. There's probably more, but we're going to end it there. All right. All right. Mm-hmm.